Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Now there was a Pharisee's name, Nicomedes, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicomedes said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is where everyone who is born of the spirit, Nicomedes said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whatever, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Amen. And uh, I'm also a member at Urban Village. I'm usually at Wicker Park, but it's great to be here today. It's your last Sunday here. 
And there's just like an energy here, right? I felt like before I got up to preach, there's like four sermons that have already been preached. And so the band, great set, and Patrick's prayer, and Aaron talking about peace, and Amy, I mean, I'm over here like ready to stand up with your sermon. It was so good, right? It was a great testimony. So it feels good to be here. I'm excited about uh, y'all's move to the edge and think about new possibilities that are going to happen, new people you encounter, uh, new folks to experience the gospel, and for um, transformation that y- y'all can continue to lead in our city. So thanks for letting me uh, come preach. Uh, as we begin this time together, will you pray with me, please? God, we give you thanks for this morning, for the people gathered here, for the ways that we have already connected to you and experienced your grace and experienced one another. And God, I pray during this time, may uh, the ideas that are in our heads, the dreams, the thoughts, and may the words of my mouth be connected to who you are and may inspire us to be the people you are calling us to be. Amen. So uh, an author that I really like, her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. She's an Episcopal priest. Any fans of Barbara Brown Taylor? So like two of you, good. Uh, You may not know this story, uh, but she tells a story about a woman who um, sought out and who went on this pretty grand adventure to figure out uh, this question that everyone's been asking for uh, all time. Basically, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And so she went uh, and she started this journey and she uh, started reading books. Hundreds of books, maybe even thousands of books, books about history and psychology and theology and spirituality and all of these things, uh, trying to figure out what is the meaning, what is the purpose of life. But she got through this list of books from all sorts of people and then she was uh, not satisfied. She said, I still, I still don't know, I still don't have a satisfactory answer to what the meaning of life is. So then she shifted gears a little bit and she decided to go to lectures to TED Talks and to lectures at colleges and maybe even some sermons. And um, she listens to all sorts of lectures about all sorts of things from all sorts of people and goes to countless number of them. But in the end, she's still a little unsatisfied. She says, you know, I've heard some great people talk and they're really interesting. They have some well-designed PowerPoints. But really, uh, they haven't helped me figure out what the meaning of life is. So then she gets a little drastic, and she sells most of her things. She puts a few things in storage. She quits her job, and she decides to travel around the world until she finds the meaning of life. So she goes to all the continents. She looks, and she has experiences, and she meets with people, and she stays up until 2 in the morning at bars talking, and she goes and visits and climbs mountains and all these things, trying to figure out, What is the meaning of life? But she's not having much luck, even as she travels. So eventually, she is in India when someone tells her, I know the person you need to see. This man lives in the Himalayas, and you need to hike there and go see him, and he may be able to help you. What is the meaning of life? And so she goes on this adventure. She goes hiking and climbing in the Himalayas, and she finally finds this man's house on the side of a mountain. She climbs up, exhausted and tired and dirty, and she knocks on his door. And the man answers, and she immediately says, what is the meaning of life? I've been on all these trips, I've read all these books, I've been all over the place, I've went to all these lectures, and I've come here to ask you, what is the meaning of life? 
And the man says to her, come on in and have some tea. And she's not ready for tea. She wants to answer to her question. What is the meaning of life? She's got like her iPhone ready to record. She's got her moleskin out ready to take notes. She wants to know what is the meaning of life. And his, he offers her tea. But he refuses to back down. He refuses to, to, to do anything else. And so finally, she gives in and she goes in and has some tea. And they're sitting there. And while he is preparing the tea, she is rattling off all of this information to him. All the books that she's read, she brought a list for him to look at. All the lectures she's attended, she shows her notes. All of the people she's encountered on all these adventures, and she just tells him and tells him and tells him all of these things, all of this information. And while she's doing this, while she's rattling on and sort of listing all these things, the man puts a teacup in front of her. And... um, he begins, the, when the tea is ready, he begins pouring the tea. And he pours the tea and pours the tea. And she's too busy listing off all her accomplishments to impress him to realize that the cup is filling up. And so the cup is filling up and he keeps pouring. When all of a sudden it fills over the brim and goes onto her hand, and as the scalding liquid touches her skin, she says, What are you doing? Don't you see that my cup is full? You need to stop. What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? Don't you see that it's full? And the man pauses and looks her in the eye and says, The same is true of you. You've come here wanting something from me. But there's no room in your cup. Come back when it's empty and we'll talk. Your cup is is too full to go deep. And I think this is precisely where we find Nicodemus, our character from the text uh, that we read earlier, that Patrick read earlier from John 3. Because Nicodemus is a man whose cup is incredibly full. It's full of degrees, and it's full of money, and it's full of power. It is overflowing. He didn't have room for anything else. Because he's a member of the Pharisees. This is one reason we know his cup is full. And a Pharisee was a leader of the Jewish people. And a leader that knew the law really well. Pharisees had concentrated and studied and studied and studied God's law to memorize it and know it and to try to obey it. And so he's a devout person who has spent his life learning about God's law. But he was not only devout, he was also powerful because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He had another label, another title. And that meant he was a part of this smaller group of about 70 people. And their job was to to judge and to rule over the Jewish people. And this group was pretty elite. It's like an early version of SCOTUS, perhaps. He's like the RBG, maybe. I doubt it. (laughs) I don't think he has any cool memes. So... Two of you laughed, thanks. <laughs> so we know Nicodemus. He has diplomas on his wall. He's got a lot of money in the bank. And he's wielding a lot of power. His cup is full. And he is an insider with incredible influence. So it's no wonder then that when he goes to Jesus, he goes at night. So he won't be seen. Because what if his powerful peers find out that this guy, this leader, is going to Jesus? This heretical, disruptive, chaotic person. He doesn't want them to find out that he's going to visit Jesus. So he goes at night, but he still goes. 
And he goes because he is convinced there's something so compelling, so magnetic about Jesus that he has to go check out Jesus for himself. And so he goes to Jesus and he finds where Jesus is and he knocks on the door and Jesus answers. And Nicodemus has a flattering comment kind of ready to go. You know, has anyone ever met someone famous? You think about beforehand like what you're going to say to them. Nicodemus has his comment ready. He's like, Jesus, I, I know you're legit for some reason because you do all these incredible things and these things that you do, I don't think you could do them because God, you have to, uh, some, he starts babbling, you know, it never goes as planned. Because God is in you, so if you didn't have God, otherwise you couldn't do the things you do. But Jesus doesn't really have time for small talk in this instance. And so Jesus immediately responds and tells Nicodemus, Hey, in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to participate in God's dream, to be an active player in God's dream, you have to be born again. That's a normal first comment to someone. <laughs> in order to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Or our text that Patrick read said you have to be born from above. So I just want to pause here and, and acknowledge that phrase, born again, for some of us, can be uh, troubling or triggering because we've heard it used in some problematic ways. Um, but it is a phrase that, it, granted, it's been co-opted often, right, by far-right-wing politicians, by condemnation-hungry Christian leaders. But it is a phrase that Jesus uses. And so maybe instead of tossing it out and completely saying it's not worth much, maybe we can look at it a little bit closer. Maybe we can seek to reclaim it by defining what it really means instead of just using it as a political label. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus to be born again, it's a really disruptive comment. Because this leader, Nicodemus, had all his stuff together. He was one who had memorized the law and followed it. He had dotted his I's and crossed his T's and he tried to live a perfect life and he was just about there. And so when Jesus says to him, you must be born again, this is really disruptive to this guy who thought he had it all together because Jesus is saying, you need to start fresh. You need to begin anew. You need to have your whole world flipped upside down. And that's not something Nicodemus is used to hearing because Nicodemus was already full. He had arrived. He had the resume and the intellect to prove it. He's not used to hearing this sort of message, but Jesus is quite used to messing with people. And Jesus messes with him. Jesus dares him to empty out his cup just a little bit in order to make room for something new. Jesus invites him to be born again. And when Jesus tells him to be born again, he's not simply talking about go make this one-time decision and then everything after that, no, no more worries. Being born again is this one prayer you pray or this one thing you do or this one-time commitment and then nothing else happens. That's not the type of born again Jesus is talking about. For Jesus, this is not a static moment in time, but this is the beginning of a whole new way of life the launching point of something incredible and new and creative and bold, a risky and dangerous way of life. And so Jesus invites Nicodemus into a total, a radical reorientation of everything he knows and everything he will be. But Nicodemus, ever the scholar, doesn't understand. 
He can't escape these uh, rather wooden, reasonable ideas that he has. He's smart, and he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about because Jesus doesn't make any sense to him. But what Jesus is trying to show him is that being born again, experiencing that kind of transformation is not an intellectual accomplishment. He can't think his way into transformation, but Nicodemus is too full. He has a really hard time expanding his view enough in order to make room for something new. And so he thinks, I've already been born, and I can't go back into my mother's womb because I'm way too large, and also, like, that just doesn't work scientifically. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what he's talking about. What, what is Jesus even saying? I have no clue. But we have to give him credit, because even in the midst of his confusion and uh, reasonable confusion, right, he says, Jesus... I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about, but how do I do it? I have no idea what you're talking about, but show me how to make it happen. And so at this point, things get a little weird. They were already a little weird, but Jesus starts talking about water and wind and snakes. Water and wind and snakes. It seems like at first glance, if we just read this passage quickly, that Jesus is spouting out Christianese, pious phrases that make little sense that maybe a lot of us in this room try to avoid. But really, what Jesus is doing is meeting Nicodemus where Nicodemus is. Because we have to remember that Nicodemus is a scholar of the law, which means that he knew the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, really well. He knew those stories and he knew those passages. Those are the passages that had formed him into the person he was. Those are the passages that were so powerful and meaningful for him that he had been learning for so long. And so Jesus talks about being born again in a way that will be accessible and in a way that will be compelling for Nicodemus. It's a lesson for us as we talk about faith today. Jesus helps remind Nicodemus of stories that have shaped him, of stories that tell him who God is, much like Amy was talking about that story from our childhood and remembering God is the God who helped in that moment. God is the God who brought you to Chicago. God is the God who led you to this community. Jesus is helping Nicodemus see that. God is the God from these stories that Jesus talks about. Water, wind, and snakes. Water. When Jesus starts talking about being born again of water to Nicodemus, Nicodemus's mind goes to passages like Ezekiel 36. Passages that say this, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart flesh. And then the water imagery would also remind Nicodemus of another narrative from the book of Exodus. This narrative where Nicodemus's ancestors escaped slavery and went into liberation through the waters of the Red Sea, the parted waters of the Red Sea. They thought they were stuck in bondage forever, but God delivered them through those waters and brought them into a new way of life. They were born again. 
And so with this water imagery, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you can be changed. You can be transformed. You can be liberated. He can be born again, not because he works hard enough for it and earns it. He can be liberated simply because God is good and God is ready to make him into something new. Even when he fails, even when idols get in the way of him following God's path, even all those times God is ready to make him into something new, God wants him to be born again. Water. Then we have wind. And Jesus calls Nicodemus to be born of the Spirit, and he uses these metaphors, these metaphors of wind or breath. And Nicodemus would recall passages like the next chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37. And this is when the prophet Ezekiel has a vision, a vision of a valley of dry bones, a desolate place, a place with no life, full of dry bones. And then all of a sudden in Ezekiel's vision, the breath of God, the the spirit of God through the winds from every direction come up and make those bones live again. They make them walk up. It gives them life. They go from death to pulsing with life and energy and verve due to the very breath of God. And the spirit of God, the breath of God is wild and chaotic and inspiring and compelling and risky and creative. And so Nicodemus is hearing from Jesus, he will not only be cleansed with water, but he will also be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do new things in bold, risky ways to be born again. Snakes. Now, Jesus starts talking about snakes and Moses. Nicodemus would have gone to a story from Numbers 21. And in this narrative, the Israelites are at a low point. They had been freed from bondage, but they weren't having a great time. They weren't to their new home yet. Their their food wasn't that great. They were really struggling and they were complaining to God, why is this happening to us? Why have you led us to this place? And things got so bad that they thought, maybe slavery wasn't so bad. And they begin to turn away from God and God's desires. And in this time, when they turn away from God and God's desires, snakes start filling up the camp. Snakes are unleashed because the people have strayed from God, and these are vicious snakes. They bite to kill. But God takes Moses aside. And God tells Moses of a new plan. Moses is to build, to cast a snake out of bronze and lift it high above the people. And when he lifts it high above the people, the people will look at it and be healed. And so even in this midst of all the snakes, in the midst of all the sin that is running rampant, God offers a new path forward. Even in the midst of all that sin. Sin is a really churchy word sometimes, and so I like to use, whenever I talk about it, this acronym that a man named Francis Bufford created. He says sin is the HPTFTU. That means the human propensity to F things up. You can, I, love, I just think it captures it so well. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's, it's good. And so these humans have really messed things up. They've turned away from God in so many ways, but God offered them a way to move forward, even in the midst of all that stuff. And so Jesus is retelling the story to Nicodemus to jog his memory 
to make him remember, to help him realize that though sin still runs rampant, that he, Jesus, would be lifted up. And as the people look to Jesus, they will find healing. But before we look to Jesus, y'all, we got to call out the snakes. Before we find healing, we need to name our propensity to F things up. Through greed, and through power, and through white supremacy, and through Islamophobia, and through hating people who come here because they don't have any other choice, and through biased fear, and through simply not giving a damn about the world. We have to name those things before we can move forward. And so let us, all of us, call out the snakes in our country and in our president and in our church and in the spaces that we live and work and play and also in each of us. Because we have to call them out if we're going to move forward. Jesus doesn't want us to perish. Jesus wants us to have abundant, free, meaningful, passionate, eternal life. That is what he has come to give us. And Jesus says, if you look at me, I will heal you. And I will show you a way forward. I want you to be born again. Through water and wind and snakes, Jesus shows Nicodemus what it means to be born again. It means that we are known and loved beyond measure by God who is ready to cleanse us with living water simply because God is good. It means that we will be woken up and filled with the very breath of God to live in bold and courageous ways. It means that we will call out sin, be healed by Jesus, and look to him for a new vision. Friends, we are being called to be born again. But do we have room to be born again? Do we have space in our lives to totally reorient everything toward God's dream? Or are we too busy with our own success projects? Are we too concerned with society's vision of the good life? Are we too intellectually sophisticated to talk about wind and water and snakes and being born again? Jesus was inviting Nicodemus to let go of some things. To let go of some privilege and power to live in a new way. Y'all, do we have space to be born again? Because being born again is not a little thing. Being born again is not something to play around with. Being born again is actually quite dangerous. Because being born again will take us to places that we've never been. Being born again may take us to places that we never thought that we would go. But being born again is worth it. Being born again, what does it mean to be born again? And I want to say, and this, let's just be honest, like this week from hell, that let's look to Jesus to see what it means to be born again, and let's go to the text. What happens right before John 3? This passage came from John 3. John is, is one of the four Gospels. 
um, which tell the story of Jesus. And in the, 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 the verses immediately before this passage that Patrick read, we see Jesus walking into the temple, seeing people, greedy people, take money that's not theirs from people that didn't have it. Jesus walks into that temple, flips over tables, empties out money all over the place, and drives those people from the temple with a whip. Jesus does not play. <laughs> Jesus is showing us, is modeling for us, what that part of being born again, experiencing this new life, reorienting ourselves to God's dream, is speaking truth to power and actively pursuing justice. Because in these days we live in, we must remember that being born again, a part of it, is actively pursuing justice. And not, not talking about justice over a nice glass of wine and, and talking about all the books that we've read. That's great. We need to be educated. Don't get me wrong. Not just posting about these things. Again, it's good. Use the power of social media. I do. Um, many of us do. But it can't stop there. We must also be willing to put our bodies and time and energy and finances into the work of helping our world match with God's dream. Dr. Reggie Williams, a professor at McCormick Seminary, heard him speak a few weeks ago uh, with many of you at the Community Renewal Society gathering. And um, he said this, and it's been sticking with me and, and, and bouncing around in my head and my heart. And he said, if you wonder what role you would have played in the civil rights movement, you know, we all like to say, we would have been there. We would have been with Dr. King and the leaders. We would have done it. And Dr. Williams says, if you wonder what role you would have played, well, guess what? You got next. You got next. And so y'all, in the midst of wall building and healthcare carelessness and Muslim banning and refugee hating and all the rest, not just in D.C., but in Chicago, in the midst of all of this, we got next. We must be prophetic. We must speak truth to power. We must actively pursue justice. And if you have questions about how to do that practically on the ground, talk to Brittany or Jarrell. There's a faith and action team at this church, at this site of Urban Village, ready to plug you in to that work. If it's not here, somewhere. Join an organization. Give money. Spend time and energy working on this, because flourishing does not just happen. Justice does not just happen. We have to participate in it actively. And that is our call as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. This is part of what it means to be born again, to redirect our lives, to create a world where all people flourish and where justice reigns and where inclusion is the norm. So as a close, I want to tell a story from Martin Luther King Jr. because, in the words of Reggie Williams, we got next. In May 1967, King was speaking to a gather, gathering of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, in South Carolina. And by this time, he had become, mostly due to his wife Coretta and Muhammad Ali, he had become more and more vocal about his opposition to the Vietnam War. And he was speaking um, to this crowd of people on that summer evening 50 years ago. And he declared that it was time to move from reform to revolution. Reform would not work. 
tweaking things here and there would not work. It was time for something bigger, a revolution of values, he said. And a revolution of values is the only antidote to the interconnected evils of racism, exploitation, and militarism. So towards the end of the speech, King did as he often did, and he, he said, if you let me, I'm going to be a preacher for a little bit. And he started telling the story of Nicodemus, our text today. He said a juror walked to Jesus and, and wanted to know how he could be saved, and Jesus refused to get bogged down in the kind of isolated approach of what he shouldn't do. Jesus didn't say, now Nicodemus, you must stop lying. Jesus didn't say, you must stop cheating. You must stop committing adultery. Nicodemus, you must stop getting drunk. Jesus said something totally different because he realized a basic reality. If one will lie, he will steal. If one will steal, he will kill. So instead of getting bogged down in this long list of don'ts that are isolated, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said this, you must be born again. And King said, in other words, your whole structure must be changed. Again, not about a few edits. It's about a whole new program. So then King paused. Your whole structure must be changed, he repeated. Because a nation that will keep people in slavery for 244 years will thingify them. Make them things. Therefore, they will exploit them. And poor people, generally, economically, and a nation that will exploit economically will have to have foreign investments and everything else and will have to use its military might to protect them. And all of these problems are tied together. And so then King closed with these lines. What I'm saying today is that we must go from this place. We must go from this conference. And we must say, America... You must be born again. America, you must be born again. The whole structure, the whole thing of American life must be changed. His words, I'm afraid, seem as appropriate today as they did in 1967. Friends, may we be born again. May our church be born again. May our city be born again. May our country be born again. May our entire world be born again. Jesus came for us personally, and Jesus came with this grand salvation project to make the entire world, the entire cosmos, align with the dream that God has for us and for our world. May we all be born again, fueled by wind and water. May our structures and systems and habits and patterns be transformed until they are void of snakes and align with God's dream for the world. Amen.